It is the LDS Life Podcast. I'm Kevin Williams, broadcasting to you from my Kevin Cave in West Jordan, Utah. If you want to like us on Facebook, you're certainly welcome to would do that to, to do so. Um, hang on. Oh, you're certainly welcome to do so. Uh, just go to Facebook and do a search on LDS Life Podcast. You can also send me an email at Kevin W at ldslifepodcast.com. That's Kevin W. at ldslifepodcast.com. This weekend, or uh, possibly on Monday, I will be getting a Twitter account, and I am going to, sometime this week, make an attempt to submit this podcast to iTunes. So eventually we'll be carrying on iTunes. Once we get on iTunes, uh, we can go anywhere. Um, Janalee Tobias is with me, by the way, and uh, she is the owner of a group called Women Against Gun Control. I guess you're the leader of it. Oh, by the way, in case I didn't mention it, 628 in the evening here as I'm recording on March 16th, 2016. By the way, Jana Lee, uh, let's do a little bit of a side trip here. Are you going to eat corned beef and cabbage tomorrow for dinner? <laughs> um, well, I'm hoping to kiss the Blarney Stone. Um, yeah, and I, I am all, I am, um, my son-in-law is Irish, and so we do celebrate St. Patty's Day, and you know, um, there is a leprechaun that always plays tricks, that darn leprechaun, like, he turns my milk green, he turns my sugar green, leaves tracks everywhere, messes the house up, so, so yeah, uh, if I don't eat the corned beef and cabbage, I'm very well, uh, of the, of the naughty little leprechaun. How about uh, I play a trick and come over with your brother-in-law and make a green smoothie? Oh, wow. Is that healthy? <laughs> Is it lime sherbet? Are you talking like spinach and uh, yeah, spinach, crap uh, like that? <laughs> I actually bought a uh, Vitamix uh, at Costco oh. back in 2011. Oh. Uh -huh. The only reason I did this is a friend of mine who is extremely holistic uh, got me into nutrition, although I have to admit I've slacked off quite a bit within the last year due to certain circumstances. But uh, I, she got me into nutrition. I am uh, pretty big into food storage. And oh. I had a job at uh, Verizon Wireless doing customer service. And I was trying to go through a company to buy food storage because I don't know the least thing about canning. Um, so I wanted to be prepared if, if something should happen. And so I went, I didn't end up buying it from this company, but I went to uh, a company in Midvale and I bought a sample. I, uh, they gave me a sample of some food, a, a regular meal. And I showed this to a friend of mine and she said, that's good for a single guy, but you need better nutrition than that. And so she showed me how to sprout uh, she actually gave oh, me uh, the uh -huh. vitamins, which I'm sure you're oh. familiar with. And yeah, I've been uh, I've been sprouting many years. My dad was a sprouter, yeah. <laughs> and my my dad was actually a green uh, green drink. My dad was green drinks before green drinks were cool. Yeah, um, <laughs> wow. That's, see, I remember, and we'll get into the regular podcast, but I don't mind taking these side trips sometimes. Um, I remember. Um, my mother used to make me eat a, eat salad when I was a kid, the, the green salad. What, eat salad? Like what, a green salad? Yeah, which I didn't mind, but 
I always wondered, because in the summertime, I never had it in the winter, but in the summer, she always put these things in that looked like taste that looked like grass and had a very weird I shouldn't say weird but distinctive taste it wasn't bad but it just kind of reminded me of being outside or something um, and I found out later they were alfalfa sprouts oh oh yeah like they're very delicious they are. if we're going to swap green um, stories I will tell you that when we weeded the garden my dad made us keep the weeds and he said, and like he would look, he would check the weeds and he'd say, hey, you can eat this weed. Like there's like malva root and comfrey and gra grass is actually healthy and, and spearmint and peppermint. Then he, we would um, put chicken wire all over the house, like on my bed and, and we would dry these herbs and then we would smash them up and make our own green tea. And oh my gosh. anyway, yeah, so like I know, I we used to all, That's you awesome. know, the old, the old song my dad was a junk food junkie you know and he'd go but that's the funny thing cause, oh i don't ever eat candy you know i'm only just gonna eat healthy food but we'd go in his closet and he'd have snickers and candy bars and m&ms in his pocket <laughs> so yeah yeah no green drinks are good i we should eat more green stuff we should and so. um I, I yeah i was going to say uh mary lou uh, made me actually her husband made me a smoothie when I was over there at her house one day. And he said, Kevin, I want you to try something. You don't have to like it, but I want you to try it. And I said, what is this? And she and he said, well, it's uh, celery, bananas, and spinach with lettuce blended together. It's <laughs> kind of weird. I tried it. It was uh -huh. actually okay. It wasn't terrible, but it was okay. Yeah, yeah. And I actually had a second round of the green smoothie, believe it or not. And oh, then, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, a friend of mine, uh, uh, Mary Lou, a friend of mine made me, we went down to BYU Education Week, and she was gracious enough to make me a nice big breakfast before we went. Oh. And the next day, uh, when we went together, she made me a green smoothie. And I asked, what did you put in this? Because it's better than what your husband made. And she told me. And I thought, I want to do this. So when I moved out on, on my own, I told her I'm going to get into the green smoothies. And she said, you need to buy a Vitamix then. So I waited till they had them on sale at Costco. And I, yeah, it cost me 400 bucks, but it's well worth it. In fact, I might, uh, hopefully I can get into the green smoothie thing again next month. In the next <laughs> month or uh, here's a little pointer. If you put uh, some lemon, uh like real lemons mm -hmm. and pineapple in that it makes it extra tasty. It always adds like a sweet lemon? taste to it. So what's that? Le yeah, lemon. You know, I think you just put the whole lemon in, just like a slice of lemon, but grind the whole thing up. And it's really like, I think we're just so used to eating sugar mm -hmm. that we become used, like we have to put sugar on. But if we eat um, natural sweeteners like lemons and limes and, and even spearmint mm -hmm. and some of these herbs, they, they have a really good taste. And so... You need oh, to introduce okay. me to a holistic person so we can do a holistic LDS podcast. Carry on. Yeah, you know, we should. And since we are talking about LDS life, I will tell you this, um, that my dad was looked at askance. Is that the word to say? And I remember be because he talked about the importance of eating. I mean, the Doctrine and Covenants tells us that we need to eat herbs, and my dad took that literally. Um, because they do, they are good for us. I've, I've had many miracles, miraculous healings by taking herbs. And so 
One time, uh, my dad made green smoothies for the Sunday school class that he taught, and he got in big trouble. (laughs) It was like, oh, my gosh, talking about green drinks at church, and now, you know, it's acceptable. So Here's the thing. Uh, It's interesting you bring that up. When you called me, I was on my way to the grocery store. I had a really sore throat. I don't know if you noticed. I don't think you noticed. I, I, I kind of did, yeah. Did you? Yeah, okay. your voice was a little lower. Yeah, it, like really, this. <laughs> yeah, it really hurt when I talked. And so I went to go get an antibiotic because I'm a substitute teacher for my day job. Oh. And I uh, didn't want to make any little kids sick. And I didn't know of any herbs or anything like that to take. And I thought you know what, the doctor is not too far away. I'll just have someone drive me there because I didn't really feel like walking because I was so mm-hmm. sick. I got an antibiotic. I'm still on it. Uh, where do you draw the line between being holistic and antibiotics? Because I don't know. I don't have an answer. I don't know where to draw. I just know I needed help right then and there. I couldn't do much well, of it. I mean, where do you draw the line? Because I think that's a fair question. Well, it is a fair question. It, you know, hey, we're talking about LDS lifestyle. So um, I'll, I'll tell you, first of all, like usually if it's a virus, you, you try to shy away from antibiotics. But if you, have, if you have a bacteria, yeah, you need to get an antibiotic so that it doesn't spread. And then also I, a couple summers ago, I, um, well, I got a stress-related disease where um, my, I, I got MARSA, the skin-eating disease, and it was just because of stress and because of my activities, political activities, it was literally like eating this skin off of my neck. Luckily, my face was preserved. Um, but I remember, like, so we went to the Brigham Young This Is The Place monument, and they they have a, a visitor center there. And so one of the displays was an old store, an old uh, pharmacy, and they were they had a nurse there that was one of the people that saying, hey, this is what the old recipes were, like elderberry and, and, and herbs and things like that. And, yes, they can be helpful, but with these new vaccines, you know, um, not vaccines, but new new medicines that I had to take, um, they, they can save your life. So I think it's just you try what you can naturally, and if it doesn't work, then, then yeah, you do need – there are benefits to modern medicine. It's not all evil and I remember she said, you need to take your antibiotics or you're going to die. Because I was, you know, I was de- trying to decide, but do I take this or do I try to put herbs? <laughs> so, yeah, I think, and then I think a lot of inspiration, you know, prayer and inspiration will lead you to, to what you should be doing. Yeah, the, I went to the doctor because I did not want strep. And I knew if I didn't do something, it was just going, it could have gotten worse. And mm-hmm. the doctor did say my tonsils had some pus on it. So I thought, well, oh, yeah, I better take yeah. this antibiotic because who knows what Oh, yeah, happen. strep is definitely antibiotic. Yeah. So. Um, anyway, uh, we may get into this a little bit later. Who knows? The one thing nice about podcasts is they're free-flowing. I'm not under management Say, oh, you can't talk about this. You can't talk about this. <laughs> I, I don't have uh-huh. a commercial break. Although, I would like to get sponsors for the podcast eventually once it gets up and running to my satisfaction. Mm-hmm. But uh, you are really politically active. I uh, uh, I actually met you, Janelle, at uh, K Talk, which I know that you're banned from, and we'll get into that because I, I think that needs to be. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, 
think that needs to be talked about because... I, I uh, Gosh, thanks for having me on your podcast, Kevin, since I, I've been banned from a radio station. You're, you know, I'm controversial. <laughs> well, here's so, the thing. Um, I have to admit, I have a soft spot for K-Talk, me personally, and I hope this doesn't make you mad at me, because I was, uh, I'll just admit out here on the podcast, I'm a blind person. It's going to come up anyway at some in some podcasts. So and you're amazing. Like, I don't know how you do it. You do, like, the buttons that you push. How do you know you're pushing the right buttons? And anyway, I think you're very, very amazing. <laughs> well, thanks. Um, um, well, I live a philosophy that says blindness is only limited to a physical nuisance with proper training. We'll get into that later, possibly. But... Um, for those of you that are interested, I do have, I'm running this off of a computer, and I'm recording this uh, on a piece of software called CallBurner, and I have a screen reader called JAWS, and it talks to me through the podcast, and a lot of software has shortcut keys, so I can just use a lot of shortcut keys and then navigate around through uh, the arrow keys and the tab key and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Anyway, I have to admit, with K-Talk, because it's very hard for a blind person to find a job, um, which is why I'm thinking about going back to college, um, I got my degree in broadcasting. I knew Jim Sumter from over the phone, because him and I worked together on a mm -hmm. project, and I called Jim Sumter because I was desperate for work, and... This was at a time, I don't know if you knew this, Janelle, Jan, uh, Jim Sumter actually was begging for money on a Utah radio board. And No, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I knew, since I know Jim personally, and I, we've worked together, out of loyalty, I called him up and said, how much money do you need? I can get you, I'm not going to be able to get you a whole lot, but I can give you some. And he said, well, don't worry about it. And I said, Are you oh, sure? wow. Because uh, you sounded pretty desperate. And he said, well, I was just wondering what kind of a response I'd get. And I was wondering uh, who was listening out there. Don't worry about it. And then he, uh, he knew that I was looking. And I asked, is there any, can I work for you or be your producer or something? Because I'd really uh, oh, uh -huh. like to get into radio. I got my degree. And he goes, well, Kevin, there is something you can do. Call me back at this time. So I did. Uh-huh. And he mentioned to me K-Talk. Now, I've listened to K-Talk, and from a broadcaster's viewpoint, K-Talk is a very, as you know, very unprofessionally run station. <laughs> you mean everybody works for free? <laughs> yeah, that too, yeah. And there's a lot of people there that just don't know how to do radio. And mm -hmm. I... If it's one of those things where if someone were to have mentioned that back in 2000 or 2001, I would have said absolutely not. But by that time, this is back in 2008, I was desperate to do anything to get my foot in the door with radio. So I thought, why not? And he said, yeah, the general manager, not the owner, but the general manager, uh, she would be very sympathetic to your situation, and I know that she'd be willing to work for something and yes i did work for free um although i did get one paycheck because i actually did successfully sell a piece of advertising for k-talk um, oh good yeah but it's one of those things i knew what i was getting into 
but I also needed the experience. Um, and Dick, the, the owner, gave me what I wanted, mostly, except for the money and all that. But I got most of what I uh -huh. wanted. I, I was able to put mm -hmm. something on a resume. I was able to use KTalk to springboard to another job, even though it wasn't in radio. But right. now I had something to put on a resume. Now I could tell the company I did this, I sold this. So mm -hmm. I, I have to say, and I hope you don't get mad at me, I do, I guess it's because of that reason, I still ha I do have a soft spot for KTalk. Oh, no, hey, KTalk's really good. They're uh, free speech radio, except that they get ticked at you, yeah. um, which I have no idea. I've been doing KTalk radio since 1993 as a host or a co-host um, and as a guest. And But anyway, so they 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 do, uh, well, they say they believe it's free speech. We, I did a lot of good shows on there. So anyway, um, but yeah, uh, I think you should listen to KTalk. There's other AM stations out there, too. So... And KTalk, uh, you, because I don't like the way they sound on the radio, I just listen to them on the Internet. Uh-huh. Uh, by the way, oh, yeah. I have a Roku. Now, unfortunately, the Roku doesn't work very good for sight of people, but uh, I had my girlfriend come over, and we were playing with the Roku, and, uh, wow, there's a lot out there, including KTalk, if you download the TuneIn app on your Roku. I guess I don't need – how do you even spell that? The Roku? Yeah, I don't know what a Roku is. Yeah, it's a little box that you hook up to your TV. It's like a an old cable box. You hook oh. it up to your TV and it has a bunch of multimedia applications on it and you can watch you can do Netflix and all kinds of things on there. One of the applications Oh can, Yeah. Oh, okay. So you can put your computer on your T V. Okay. Yeah. Um there's a there's a uh, gosh classic country station out there's all kinds of radio stations that you can get mm -hmm. only for the roku i guess you could say it's kind of like a cable box slash old c-band dish kind of uh-huh uh but yeah anyway that i listen to k talk on the roku it sounds excellent oh okay uh, just download the tune in app on the Roku. okay and yeah uh -huh. anyway Let's uh, talk about your political activism. I, I guess, uh, from what I gather, did you get started in 89 or 93? I couldn't tell based on articles I've read about you. Um, well, yeah, probably, you know, probably was, I was um, pregnant in 1988, and I just remember I started paying attention to the governor's elections and, and the presidential elections, but I got my start probably when I was elected to be a state delegate in, I think it was like 1990, um, and I, my youngest was like a year and a half old, and I was elected to be a delegate, um, which in, in Utah is a very unique system that we're trying to preserve. Where you get elected to be a delegate, and you get to help select um, the people that become your state officers and federal officers and county officers. And so we, as a delegate, we take it very seriously, and we study the candidates. It gives a person, like, here I was, a young mom with a, a two-year-old baby, and, and political candidates that I see on TV, they were coming to my little apartment, and we would sit knee-to-knee, -knee, you know, and, and I was important to them. And you think that if, if they didn't have this delegate system, they, they could care less about the little people that don't contribute money, but when you're a delegate, you have as much power as somebody with a million dollars because you have a vote, and so they convince you to vote for them. And so um, I started studying the issues, um, became very disenfranchised at, at a lot of the money that's spent 
in trying to buy your vote and a lot of insider politics. And I, I started seeing insider politics right off the bat. And I guess the the issue that I, I started um, gathering signatures for term limits. There's a gentleman by the name of Merrill Cook that has run for office several times and has also um, been in charge of doing statewide initiative petition drives to like freeze the, the sales tax on food, um, freeze the property tax, and then he did a term limits petition. And so I would I would go around and, and gather signatures and and people it was like they just to see what doing um, a really good way to get to know what the what the pe- what the feel of the people are like what people are thinking is to go out and get signatures for an issue. And so I became, I would see like people are like, yeah, these are crooks, you know, and a lot of them would say two terms in office, two terms in prison, you know, because they, people were seeing in in the 90s that these politicians, all they care about is enriching their own pocketbooks. And so at that time um, in the state of Utah, there there was um, on on a state level, he'll, Dee Dee Cordeen was mayor of Salt Lake City, and there was an attorney general who was a woman, Jan Graham, and Karen Shepard, my representative, and they were calling for gun control. And on a national level, it was, it was and still is, the same players. It's Hillary Clinton, Dianne Feinstein, Nancy Pelosi, um, Janet Reno, um, and there, so these, all these women were saying, hey, if we just ban guns, It'll it'll make the will be safer, and so as a woman, I, I'm thinking, yeah, I need to trust these ladies because they're women, and so but so I started studying the issue, and and I found exactly the opposite of what they said. They said that they were saying that if if we have less guns, there's less crime, and statistics couldn't be more wrong. The fact is, I found out on my own research. Um, just by looking at the FBI crime report. So so a report that's supposed to be there's no bias one way or the other. And I saw that the murder rate for states like Idaho um, had a murder rate of about 1.8 per 100,000 people. This was before the Brady Bill law was passed. And so, so Idaho had some of the least restrictive gun laws in the nation with a, a murder rate of 1.8 per 100,000. And I looked at Washington, D.C., where guns were restricted. You couldn't own guns in Washington, D.C., and their murder rate was about 80.1 murders per 100,000. So I agree that it's not responsible just to look at a chart and say, oh, it has to do with guns. But you can certainly say that, um, that gun control laws are not the single factor that um, – contributes to crime. So they can't say more gun control laws protect us because it's not true. And so also I I read testimonies um, from people uh, like Susanna Gracia Hupp, a representative in Texas, who um, she had a concealed carry permit in Texas, and the law was to leave it in your car. She went to lunch with her parents that was the very famous massacre of Luby's, I do believe it was Luby's massacre in Texas. And she, because she followed the laws that you, you had to leave your gun in your car, she could, she said she had 
the killer, the shooter in her tar, if she would have had a gun, and she watched as the killer shot her dad, and she tried to grab her mom and bring her mom out, but the mom wanted to stay with her dying dad, and she was shot, and she was able to get away. And so I, I read stories like that. I read stories about the the riots. I think that was in 1988 of the very famous statement, why can't we just get along with King? I can't remember his first name right now. Um, that when the uh, white cop shot a black guy or something, and, and, and there was riots in the L.A. area, I think it was. Oh, you're talking and, about the Rodney King riots? Rodney King, the Rodney in, King uh, beating. Yeah, those riots, yeah, the beating happened in 91. The riots happened in 91. Okay, okay, right. And, and so, like, the pictures that were etched in my mind is that the businesses that were being looted, they, they were just being looted, but, but the people that had guns, they stood on their rooftops and they protected their private business. So not only do guns protect people, they, they, they lower the murder rate if you own guns, they also protect your private property should, should the world develop into chaos. Um, also study statistics of, of prisoners. They, psychologists go and interview prisoners and they ask prisoners, what would be a deterrent to you? And they say, we don't rob houses if we think it's going to be what they call a hot robbery. And so a hot robbery is somebody where they suspect that somebody has a gun. And so they don't, they don't rob those houses. They want to go to houses where they're least likely to get in and get the stuff they want and not get shot. Um, also, testimony from, uh, fr from women who weren't, um, if, if they were able, if, when they get a divorce, People will tell you that, that study divorce and, and restraining orders that the, the most times when a woman will be killed by her ex-husband or ex-boyfriend is after they, they leave. So after the, they've been ordered out of the house and they're separated, that is the most time where they're going to they get, they get so enraged that they go back and kill or, or badly maim their, their ex. And so... So um, there were instances where in that state before, before the, um, the Brady Bill was passed and some states had waiting periods and some did not, they had a waiting period before they could buy a gun. And in that time, they were murdered and because they couldn't get a gun to protect themselves. Um, also, I heard a, a, a 911 recording where it's just an actual recording where a woman's on the phone and she calls 911, and she tells the dispatcher, there's somebody in my house. He just broke in. And the dispatcher saying, okay, we're sending a police officer over to your house. Just go hide somewhere. I heard that. You, you had a link to that on your website. Oh, I do? Okay. I, I do. Yeah. So you heard that. Isn't that? I that's did. chilling. Yeah, it was in Texas. Yeah. And, and so, she's, so, they're, so she's saying, he's getting closer. And, and the ladies are saying, okay, just wait a minute. The cops will be there in a few minutes. And so then, and I, I get goose pimples talking about that right now. And so, and so you hear, you hear the, the robber, the murderer, I mean, the, the burglar in her house, you can hear her, like, hear them breaking in the door. And she's like, they're breaking down the door. And then the phone goes dead. And she was killed. She was murdered while she's waiting for the cops to come. And so... 
there are various, you know, like numerous. In fact, another really important study that I studied, it's called the, the Gary Click, and he's a, a, a professor at the University of Florida, a criminologist, and he did some statistical sampling. And he also, I do believe he was ACLU or former ACLU, and so he um, found out that, that guns are used to protect lives 2.5 million times a year. And, and so that's significant. So a lot of times, here's what is so powerful about a gun, is that most of the times in these self-defense situations, if you, you pull out a gun and they'll leave, they're afraid of firearms, but they're not afraid of mace. They're not afraid of a knife because they can overpower, especially a female with a knife, and they can overpower them. But if you hold your gun, and I was taught uh, by an FBI, a female instructor, and, and for people, for Mormons, uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, we're taught not to use foul language. And so I probably never said the F word in my whole life. And so I, this, she teaches you what you say so that you look serious because, you know, so she said, you say, you hold that gun in your hand and you get a look in, the, in your eye and you tell, you hold the gun and you say, I have a gun, get the F out of my house. And I'm like, I can't say that, you know, I have to say, uh, you know, but, but, but you have to be serious about it. But, but I've since also concluded that I, if I held the gun in my hand um, and if I said, um, get out of my house, pretty please. They they probably would because the gun backs up my statement. But but you have to act. Um, you you need to know how to handle a firearm. So so anyway, like myriads of, of research out there. And by the way, let me mention since I was talking about Gary Click, who was the professor at the University of Florida, the other study that I also did was I studied. Um, Florida, you, you'll probably remember this, Kevin. Um, they had this huge problem with um, tourists being um, attacked. Do you remember that? No. Well, that okay. That was a, a result. I'll tell you the story because it's really interesting. Um, women in Florida were being victimized at a very high, alarming rate. No, it was not Ted Bundy. Uh, well, he was one of them, but they were. It was free, yeah, like not, frequently not women. Okay, I, well, yeah. I, I yeah, Ted that. Bundy, he was in Utah, too, by the way, and I actually know one of his... In fact, I know somebody who went on a date with Ted Bundy. Oh, you did? And I know somebody who was killed by uh, Ted Bundy, and their parents still leave the light on for her to come home. It's very tragic. Um, so, yeah, so there's the Ted infamous... If I, if really? I, the yeah, we'll have to... to I, oh, I wait, so you dated her and she was killed? No, no, no. No, the, no, I know I have a neighbor who went on a date with Ted Bundy. No, she was not killed, but I re I read the book The Stranger Beside Me. So oh, scary. Yeah, I think I know who you're talking about. Um yeah, they're they're here in Utah and Can Yeah, he, he was one of the ones. Um you, you know, go ahead. I I, I know like Melissa Smith, wasn't it? Um you know, that might have been it. it it's my friend's uh, sister's husband's sister, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, if it's the one, I think it was, she worked at a pizza place, if I'm not mistaken. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. 
There, there also was another person. There was a couple though. I, I just remember Melissa Smith who worked at a pizza place. Yeah, you know, I'll find out. If that very well could be her name, you know, and I'll get back with you. Yeah. Um, but, but in Florida, women were being victimized at an alarming rate. So I can't remember whose idea it was to do this or who did this. I think it was some government agency. I think it was maybe even the governor or somebody said, okay, we're going to teach the women in our state how to shoot and how to carry firearms so that, so that they can protect themselves. And everybody, like the liberals and the gun haters and, and whoever, you know, that didn't understand guns, they, Florida's called the sunshine state, and they were saying that Florida is going to become the gun sign state. But, in fact, it, the exact opposite happened, and, and the victimization rates against the women in Florida, they went down. But here's the interesting um, unintended consequences of that, the w- women becoming armed and knowing how to use a gun, is that so the, the burglars who were preying on Floridian women, they thought, okay, we're going to victimize the tourists. So if, if we see somebody from out of state, then they're least likely to have a gun because of the concealed carry laws at that time. They probably didn't have reciprocal concealed carry laws and so they were just banking on that they would not have firearms so really and and here's and here's another story for you since we have an an lds uh lds live podcast um when i was a student at byu um did you like okay they have what they call family home evening groups and so every every monday night um, there's a mom and a dad and we have a family and, and it's really neat because you're away from college and this is your adopted family. And so, um, so I had a family home evening brother that was two or three times my size. And so I had a self-defense class I was taking, you know, like basic self-defense. Like if a guy comes up to you and, and tries to take your keys, here's what you do. And if he tries to grab your throat, here's what you do. And so we went through these self-defense moves, and and I could, and I could defend myself against this guy who was three times my size. And that's when we kind of playing around. So then the instructor said, "Okay, men, you're on meth, and you are, you're now you're attacking the woman. You know, don't play around this time." And I was completely helpless, and and so it's just it's a physiological fact. Here's what I, I have to talk about um, the Lord with at, at some time, uh, in, and that is why he made women with twice as much fat uh, and, and men have twice as much muscle. <laughs> so uh, it's, you know, like, so it's, it's a physiological fact that men tend to be uh, bigger and stronger than women. And so when, when you, like, so I, I, I thought, okay, I, I can go to these self-defense classes and I, I can start at, at beginning karate or beginning jujitsu or whatever and, and, I'll, and I'll have to, to take a year and I'll spend a lot of money and i got to go every week and take these self-defense classes and learn how to do kicks and, and different ways and I'm going to spend thousands of dollars and, and really take years to get to be really proficient that I could be comfortable in walking down the street and feel like Chuck Norris or something, or, or, or a Chang. What's the Chang, the Chinese guy, what's his name? Johnny Chang, I can't think of his name, he's my favorite. 
the Chinese guy that knows martial arts. I'm not sure. um, uh, anyway, and and so um, I be so I concluded that it is less expensive, and so it's actually economically more viable for women who who don't have a lot of money. So for let's just say it for the poor class, um, the women who are poor, um, for a few hundred bucks and a few lessons, you can learn how to defend yourself so that you can take down a man three times your size, four times your size with a firearm. And that's very empowering to, to think that you can defend yourself against an attacker twice your size and that he will be afraid of a firearm. And, you know, you can, that you can take down a guy twice your size without even breaking a fingernail. And, and so what I, so if I studied those facts and I was looking at who is calling for more gun control laws and it was women. And so like women, we're supposed to like have each other's back, you know, we're supposed to have a sisterhood. And so I was like, why? Why are they? Why don't they want us to send a message to the women? Are we can't have guns, and that guns are bad when it's the exact opposite. And then, and then also they're completely hypocritical because those women have bodyguards, and their bodyguards don't carry mace, they don't carry a knife. Their bodyguards carry guns, and and additionally, these women they live in gated communities. And, and even then, I bet these women that say they hate guns and want to ban guns, they probably have a gun stashed in their undie drawer. <laughs> so they're extremely, <laughs> if they wear them, no. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, they're extremely hypocritical. That they, they have all the protection in the world. They're upper class, and they, and they don't want, I can't protect myself. So they think that they're, they're better than us, and my life isn't worth as much as theirs that they can have guns to protect themselves, but we can't have guns to protect ourselves. And so as, as I pondered that, I've always been a little fighter, always been, you know, I've, I'm the youngest of seven, three brothers and three brothers-in-laws that teased me incessantly. And so I learned to fight back at, at a really young age. And so I was like, you know, I'm not going to, wait, these women are ticking me off. So I decided against um, a lot of different names and, and the psychology is that they say, don't be against something, you should be for something. So I was thinking like, okay, women for self-defense, women for guns, and, or lady, like petticoat, pistol, pistols and petticoats. But I thought, no, I'm going to take this issue on because the biggest gun grabbers in the United States were and still are because they think they can get away with it by playing the, the women card, you know, the, the gender card. And it's women, so I said, okay, I'm going to start a group called Women Against Gun Control. Now, what year did so, you start that? Uh, probably 1993, okay. um, or, or a little earlier. And so I was out gathering um, t um, signatures for term limits, and this reporter was interviewing me to get my opinion on term limits, um, which, which I think is critical. If the president is limited, then I... You know, I, I, I know there's a lot of good people in office, but the fact is is that money influence and too many of them get in and they stay in forever. And then after a few years, they, became, they become completely owned. 
um, by the establishment, and they, and they don't care, and they quickly forget about the people they represent. You know, most of them, yeah, I mean, there's a lot I'd like to see in forever, but when you look at the good ones versus the bad ones, we need to get we need to get rid of them all. They need to be turned over. You know, they. I used to say that they're like, um, di- you know, like diapers that need to be changed often. Yeah. <laughs> diapers and politicians. Um, so, viewing me um, on term limits, and so I said, by the way, um, I don't support gun control. I don't support Didi Cordini. I don't support my representative Karen Shepard, Attorney Jan Graham. I don't support. Um, Janet uh, Reno, oh, and Sarah Brady, by the way, who who pushed for the Brady Bill. I, I don't support these women. So on, on a state and national level, the biggest gun grabbers were women. So I, I took them on, and here I am, this little cute mom. I can say that now because I was little and cute back then. <laughs> um, you know, t- taking, on these, uh, taking on these very powerful women and... And so it was a front page story in the Tribune and it had me and I, so they wanted to take a picture of me. So I went down to the range. Um, my friend was a, a Vietnam War veteran. He taught firearm safety. He had a, a briefcase of guns for me to shoot. And I, and I wore a pink dress and it said, uh, like Utah women for gun control, not this group. And I, and I completely took them on. Um, and I, and I also brought, that was in the days of the um, the O.J. Simpson trial, and it was Nicole Brown Simpson. And one of my quotes was, "If Nicole oh, that was, Simpson uh, back in '94, '95, okay, or or even earlier, because I think the article I'm looking at was maybe 1993." Um, oh, yeah, so I said, "Yeah, yeah." So I said, "If if Nicole Simpson would have had a gun, um, she'd still be alive." So, um, you know, that's so that that. Yeah, I do believe that because, you know, she, but in California, they have really um, restrictive gun control laws. And they, you know, I, I blame these people who make the politicians who are making women be victims and continue to be that way. Although, so it was a front page uh, story. He was pretty muscular. I'm not sure he would have been afraid of a gun. Well, yes, he would have. He, 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 pointing at a, a 38 or a 45 or even a 22, um, you know, at one to center one bullet to center mass or several um and what you know what they say if, if you have um gun classes what they teach you that you aim for center mass um and you don't even really okay in a self-defense situation typically i mean think about it you really don't want to shoot somebody if they're far away from you because they're they're not really a threat but the second that they become they get in your personal space and you feel your life is threatened that's when you would pull the trigger, and they teach you to do, to to shoot, to put two bullets, the center mass, and one bullet to the head, and that's how we practice. So, um, so I it was front page story in the Salt Lake Tribune, and my phone started ringing off the hook because nobody had taken action. Well, and let me go forward. I mean, backwards a little bit from that. Um, I also, um, before I specifically took it on as a women's issue, I saw that that Didi Cordini um, and there was a judge that was pushing for waiting periods um, on on guns in Salt Lake City. And so here I am. I just, 
I just got was recovering from a, a bad motor or a, a car accident, <laughs> and so I, I sent this news release out. I, I'm telling you this story to let people know how much power they have. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a degree in communications from Brigham Young University, and so I learned how to work with the media and write news releases. But so I wrote this news release, and I said, "Hey, uh, Mayor Didi Cordini and Judge." I, I can't remember his name, maybe Judge Murphy, but they flunked their their um, political science class and they don't understand or they might not, not know how to read, but the Second Amendment says that gun rights should not be infringed. So that means no background checks, no waiting periods. And so I sent that news release out and I called some people um, and I, I let a few gun stores know. And so we met... Um, just a handful of us, and we met in front of um, the Salt Lake City uh, City Hall. And here I am in my in my dress. Dee Dee Cordini was, you know, real short hair and more pantsuits. You know, they, they, these power women they like to look like men. You know, but no, I think my power is in looking feminine, looking like a woman. I mean, don't women drive men crazy, right? So. You know, that isn't that a little bit of power, right? So let's let's use our feminine power. So, um, and and like five five TV cameras showed up, and 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 did this big story on, and I and I ripped them, you know. Which so which led to to several months later, um, to starting Women Against Gun Control, and and my life has never been the same. I didn't think that over twenty years later, I, I'm I'm still very much in the fight to protect the Second Amendment. And I have been volunteering my time for more than 20 years. And it's one of the most rewarding things that um, that I could ever do. And I, Women Against Gun Control is now the oldest um, and maybe one of the first, but we're still surviving um, female gun rights organizations. And now there are several of them. But I, I was out there taking the arrows um, before any of the other women's gun rights groups and, and so I just wanted to be, yeah, my, my website isn't as good as it could be. I don't have a staff that works for me. We have volunteers. Um, but I, I, you know, at that time, you look up gun control, and it, all these women were in favor of gun control. And, and there I, if you type in women against gun control on an Internet search, I'm the, well, women against gun control is the first one that comes up. And so we were not going to let, the gun hating, the, the 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 women who make us victims, they did not have the only say in this. And so here's this grassroots organization taking on the world, saying that that no women, not all women support gun control, and in fact, you know that they're high, they're very irresponsible. In fact, they make us victims. And I still have to continue to fight them today. And I will, if Hillary Clinton becomes a nominee, and and she most likely will be. I am going to take her on because she is. She makes women victims. She's completely hypocritical that she'll say, "Oh, women can can join the the military. In fact, they can become, uh, you know, Navy SEALs, and they are they they can do anything that men can do. We can send them on the front lines. They can fly. They can be fighter pilots in the military and handle all these big guns. But at home, oh no, no, you you dumb women, you know, you." Don't you shouldn't have guns. In fact, we're going to take them from you. So I I detest her because she makes us victims, and her words make us victims. I think what Hillary I, 
Clinton is saying, though, and I'm not defending her, but I, it kind of is the same rhetoric that Diane Feinstein's use and everybody else. Uh, you can have guns if you work for the government, but if you're an average citizen... Oh, yeah. So Hillary yeah. says, yeah, you can fight on, in the front lines of the military, get your gun. Oh, but if you're an average citizen, you have to go through all these regulations. Or you shouldn't have them at all. I mean, they're, she's saying, if, if I understand correctly, she is saying that she wants gun confiscation. She wants us yes, all to turn in our does. guns, and I, so does I, Bernie Sanders. Say that. And she's always said that. And I, as much as, like, look, being this gun control issue, I had no, it just like it seemed like, oh, I had no idea what I was getting into, you know. And all of a sudden I'm in this huge political um, battle, which is completely stressful. Um, but it's something that that we need to do, and it's the least I can do to pay back the um, the lives that so that millions of soldiers have given, so that we can be free. And the Second Amendment is the amendment that keeps us free. We're exercising freedom of speech here on this podcast um, to because we do all we can. To, to speak out, I'm a huge advocate of free speech, and if you did research on me, you'll see that I won a huge free speech case. By the um, way, but if the sec- wins, uh, our Internet will be regulated, mark my words. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they, she's a power freak, a power a control freak, yeah. and, and she's extremely dangerous, and, and it's going to have to be men. It's like we elected a black president, and they're untouchable because... If, if you don't agree with her policy, you're a racist. Mm-hmm. Oh, you just said that because he's black. No, we didn't. We said that because my insurance rates have gone up. You know, I can't afford insurance now. He bows to, to foreign leaders. I mean, the list is endless of the atrocities. But if we speak out against it, you're a racist. And so the same thing will be with Hillary. Oh, you're, you know, you're just saying that because she's a woman. No, I'm not. I'm saying that because she's a terrible president. It makes no difference. So it's so scary. Um, and, but, you know, but, but white, Christian, males, you know, you're, you can say anything about them. Oh, yeah, you know. Yep. So, By the <clears> way, <throat> uh, speaking of Hillary, and then we'll get back to gun control, because I have a few questions when you're done making your statement. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, I understand, and I haven't heard much report. I know Glenn Beck has come out in recent times uh, taking on the Clintons in one of his segments on his talk show. I understand, uh, you know, Hillary says, well, I know she says, do what you have to do, don't take sexual harassment, might scream, yell, whatever. But yet, I understand when uh, women have come forth to tell their stories about Bill Clinton sexually harassing them, Hillary is just brutal to these women so there's if that's true which i believe it it is oh yeah she totally defended you know just to all to keep her power um yeah she's an enabler yeah (laughs) the hypocrisies are just out of this world and and taking money from countries that are completely abusive to women yeah, and so uh, she took. Yeah, you're right. She took money from some Middle Eastern countries. I think Saudi Arabia was it, one of them. And... 
it's it's really interesting. As I read um, Chelsea Clinton coming to, to campaign for her mom in Utah, and I'm reading the issues that that are a big deal. I can't remember the other. Well, it's always global warming, but then she's like, and make sure that women can get abortions and gun control. And I'm like, you, okay, women who understand the value of life. What if what if her parents had gotten an abortion? She wouldn't be here. And, and these are the most important. Like, so we have we have rising debt. We have we have crime rampant in inner cities, um, black on black crime. I mean, the the list of problems is just endless, and, and those are the focus. Really, abortion and gun control. Let's talk about. I've issued this challenge so many times, Kevin, and that is I, I've always said from day one. It, and again, since we're talking on LDS life. I will attribute my the, the the way I believe the way I do is because of the values that I learned at Mormon Church, and that is number one that strong families are the backbone of America, and so in our families it's really critical that we teach our children morals and values, and and, and some of the a list of some of the things you know like hey, maybe we shouldn't have our kids be watching these violent video games and, and let's have dinner together and, and let's read to our children and let's, let's teach them talents and, and, and just like all the things that, that would attribute to good parenting um, because it all starts with strong families. And so I've issued the challenge um, on, on every debate that I've been on, when I've been on a debate with somebody who is, I, they're, I call them anti-family because they don't care about my family's protection. Because number one, for families, more than anything else, um, when you're a mom, you become a mama grizzly. I used to say a, mo- a mother... Um, yes, that's what K- Kyle 2K called you on K-Talk. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm a mama grizzly. Yeah. And, like, if anybody tries to hurt our kids, we're going to rip their head off. We don't care, you know. But, you know, just... We're, we're really gentle until you ta- attack our kids. And so if, so we, so instead of just saying, they, they act like the answer to solve the world's crime problems is to ban guns, which infuriates me. That is not the magic bullet. If it were that easy, I would be all in favor of it. Yeah, okay, let's ban guns, then crime goes away. Are people really that stupid that they believe that? They just believe the same thing like free college. Oh, free college. Where does the money come from? People don't understand. You're taking it from other people, and you're, and you're also, you don't appreciate. If you don't work for something, you don't appreciate it. So I, I issue the challenge. Why can't we talk about crime control? And so I'll be in a debate with somebody that's a gun hater, um, and I'll say, okay, why don't we get, let's, I'll get 10 people who are pro-gun, and you get, you get 10 people who are anti-gun, and let's sit around the table, and let's take guns out of the equation, and let's talk about what causes crime. Because you can leave a gun, a fully loaded 45, semi-automatic 45, or leave a, a fully uh, loaded um, AR-15, since that's the the the, inc- the politically correct and incorrect gun now, and an AK-47, 
and totally put it put a a magazine capable of holding 30 rounds and leave it on the table and just let it sit there and until somebody comes and they have to hold it and put their finger on the trigger and it has to be somebody with an evil criminal mind or or somebody will pick that up to defend but it's the person that gets to that point that we need to be talking about what contributed to that um and, and so let's talk about maybe maybe we need to have better schools. Maybe maybe we need to to cut taxes so that two parents don't have to work because one parent works to pay the bills and one parent works to pay the taxes. When I was growing up, and maybe you too, Kevin, that we could that only one parent had to work. Now, my and, mom and did so, work. she was a teacher, but she technically didn't have to. I think she chose to work, which is fine. But, but she was home after after school. Yes. Like those are school teacher is a, is good to, to be home because I I always so so if I'm going to be on this committee on when we're talking about what causes crime, I I had this solution for transportation problems, which would have been a double, you know, a double help. So let's say. So if if you had like okay so for for moms or the dad you know people in the workforce let's say if you the two most important times in raising kids that you need to be there one parent at least needs to be there is when they're going to school because they need to be there a parent needs to be there to to give a child love and to get them breakfast and to make sure they have everything that they need to go and they need to go off to school that day with a hug and I love you and have a good day. Um, and then when they get home from school, to have somebody waiting at home with a snack or like be ready, you know, help with homework and find out how their day has been. Because a- another fact, if, if we're talking about, so I so that does two things. Ha- having at least one parent home at those hours, um, that reduces crime because a lot of, uh, they're called latchkey kids. Kids come home from school. There's not a parent there. And I remember, I loved it, you know. I mean, I liked it because it was occasionally for me, but the occasional time my mom wasn't home, that's the time when I'm going to eat the, all the cookies I want, yep. watch TV, and kind of do whatever I want, right? By the way, even though my mom was a teacher, I was a latchkey kid because I would come home uh, sometimes before my siblings did because I was in elementary school. And sometimes my mom wouldn't come home till about five five thirty at night, but I guess uh, my mom was okay with that because all I ever did was talk on the phone with friends and made an occasional prank phone call. <laughs> I did uh, that prank yeah. phone calls were the big deal before yeah. caller ID. Yeah. Well, even then, yeah. Actually, I lived in Ontario, Oregon, and caller ID was out in Boise in nineteen ninety one, and. Uh, so we didn't have it in uh, Ontario yet, although I did know someone <laughs> who did, and it was very primitive. But uh, I remember I, we would, I would uh, sometimes I even went to a friend's house. And we would just do prank calls. We'd prank call Albertsons and all kinds of places. Just ask stupid questions. Now, what's your fa- my favorite one? Okay, we call, we call him. Hello, is your refrigerator running? Then oh, you better gosh. go catch it. Is that what? You know, that remi- I was thinking about that the other day. I had a CB radio when I was 11 years old. Oh, those were fun. Yeah, and uh, I, 
I am really surprised, looking back, my parents even let me have a CB radio, to be honest. Oh, yeah, you could raise all kinds of trouble with those. Not only I mean, that. Well, I know, which is worse, CBs or cell phones, I don't know. No, not only that, but, uh, my gosh, there was... Okay, you had the truckers, and once they... Because uh, I was an 11-year-old kid, once they found out I was a little kid, they kind of toned down their language, but... <laughs> When I moved to uh, Boise, Idaho, uh, the CB culture was very different in Boise because now you had your truckers and locals. So the truckers were on Channel 19 and the locals back then were on Channel 25. Oh my, did I hear about a lot of drama when I was 11 and 12 and I talked to a lot of questionable people, let me tell you. And yes, I did wreak a lot of havoc. So <laughs> I'm really surprised that my parents even let me have a CB at that age. Uh huh. But I guess the point is, getting back, I was a latchkey kid. But I wonder if my mom was somewhat okay because with it because, like I said, I'd come home and talk on the phone with friends, make an occasional prank phone call. So that's I, not too bad. I would call... Uh, phone numbers just to hear recorder recordings. Remember Hooked on Phonics? Uh, I think I do, yeah. ABCDEFG. So I'd call them and just listen to the recording and laugh and listen. Mm -hmm. to, I spent a lot of my time, though, listening to the radio. So I wonder if my mom was okay with me being home alone because I knew she knew that it was harmless. I don't know what she, how she would handle it in today's society, though. I really don't. Yeah, well, I think today it's 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 probably even more important to be home with the access to the internet and cell yeah. phones and, and 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 so so that so that should be on the table. And and by the way, what that would do. So let's say even so, like for school teachers or 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 a job in a professional workforce. So let's just say. The, the owner, you know, you could be a big CEO of a company or, or or whatever, work in a company of your choice, but just kind of be flexible. So to say, hey, I just want to be home in the morning with my kids and, and be home, you know, at least soon after they get home from school. So that would also take cars off the road during that time, right? So yeah. that would that would have a huge impact on the cars. So So common sense solutions like these and just put everything out on the table because and, and and these aren't all my ideas i mean these are just if, if you get out and, and you talk to the people and just your neighbor or, or you're riding the bus and you talk to people and you're like oh my gosh these are such good ideas why can't our politicians think like this but they only but they think how they're paid to think by lobbyists yep and, and that's just Go ahead. Oh, but I want to get into some questions about gun control because I have, uh, I have a moderate view of gun control. I don't want people who are mentally disturbed, people on bipolar medication or whatever, to have guns mm -hmm. because those people are very dangerous. Also, I want to go back to something you said. If O.J. Simpson had a, a gun, Nicole might be alive. Um, back in the day, well, let's, I'll just, uh, make a fictitious story up. Uh, let's say that, uh, you're at a summer camp and you call somebody a hypocrite. Well, that person happens to be somebody's girlfriend who is at the summer camp also. So the boyfriend and girlfriend are at the summer camp. 
boyfriend comes to you, and uh, I know this is an LDS Life podcast, but I'll say it because this would probably happen <laughs> in a real situation. <laughs> if you call this person a hypocrite, I'll kick your ass. Okay. And you say, well, if you kick my ass, I have a gun right here. What if that person was so angry, and this could happen, and I think this ought to be addressed, because this is an issue that mm -hmm. I've had with guns. What if that person was so angry at you to even think of having a gun? What if you went to sleep, and you had the gun in your dresser, and that person sneaks into your room and shoots you? Or better yet, what if you're taking a shower or something? You don't have the gun is near you. It's on the toilet or something. Mm -hmm. The person grabs it and shoots you. So, I sometimes wonder, and I'm not trying to say guns are evil, but I sometimes wonder how effective are guns in a situation like that. Well, I and Kevin, those are really the kinds of questions that we should be asking. I think they're fair questions, um, and I because I think that's an inherent fear that that people have. It's what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess, yeah, that happens all the time. And and yeah, like it's like you got a boyfriend. You don't talk to my girlfriend that way. So I guess so. Go back to the situation at that moment. Um, the the person owning the gun, if they had that on them, they're taught in. That's why I'm not a big fan. I'm going to make a lot of enemies here. I'm not a big fan of um, being able to carry without a permit because you need to know the I law. I agree with you, by the way. Really? Yeah, yes. so, so I'm not that much of a gun nut, am I? <laughs> because, I've, go ahead. I advocated uh, in uh, one of my English essays back in 2001, mm -hmm. you shouldn't be able to have a gun unless you're certified. And I still believe that today. Well, let me let me just clarify, and and I, I see what you're saying. Here's the the biggest, um, and I and I want to get back to your your what ifs. But what people say is you have to have a license to own a car. Well, no, you really don't. You have to have. You can buy a car, and it can sit on your property. Okay, so. But when you drive it, you dang well, I want you to have a license to drive a car because I want you to know the rules of the road. So I say that same thing. Now, you're saying to be certified to own a gun in your home. That I kindly disagree with you on that because to, to have a gun in your own home for protection, it there you sometimes people just point a gun and a criminal will walk away. I've even had stories of people calling me and telling me that they, they had an NRA sticker, which is National Rifle Association sticker, on their truck, and they were a guy was badgering them. So they reached under their seat to pretend to grab a gun because, you, know, like, you know, like, I'm going to grab my gun, and, and the person drove away. So to, to have a gun in your home, you sh no, you shouldn't have to be certified to own it because you're not putting... Um, bystanders at risk, mm -hmm. and and if if somebody's in your home, they're they're breaking and entering, and you are at that point in fear of your life. Mm -hmm. There's three. Um, okay, so 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 to carry a gun, yeah, I think you need to have a license. You need to know when lethal law, when when you can when you can kill somebody. So let's go back to the situation of be you know you called my girlfriend a 
a bully, I'm going to kick your A. That happens every single day. And that's, you know, a threat or people are just blowing smoke or whatever. So the three elements that have to be present before you can use lethal force is number one, you have to be in fear of your life. Number two, they have to have the means, which is a weapon, you know, and, and you, you could say, uh, you know, fists are a weapon, feet can be a weapon. In fact, that's the weapon used most often in domestic violence, by the way. And number three is that they have to have the intent. So, and, and I learned that in my concealed carry classes. So, and, and they also teach you, don't, don't, don't put yourself into those situations. So if you're carrying, you actually become more nonviolent because you know that you have lethal force. So people that could, I never, like I pray every day, I never want to hurt anybody. I don't want to ever accidentally kill anybody with my car. I, I never want to have to shoot anybody, but if I have to protect myself or my family, then yes, I will, okay? So the guy said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick your A. So at that point, it really kind of not in fear of your life, right? I mean, like, okay, so so let's let's take it to this point. Let's say, what what if I'm standing in my yard and my neighbor across the street or somebody walking down and they're, or they're clear up the street or, and they go, I'm, I'm mad at you, I'm going to kick your ass, I'm going to kill you. Like, okay, really you should just go in your house at that point and call the police. Okay, so let's say then you see that the, per- so let's say now the, the, the boyfriend said, I'm going to kick your A. But then you see he pulls up his shirt pocket and he's carrying a knife or a gun or brass knuckles or whatever. Then then he has the means. So he has the means to, you're, you're, you're in fear of your life. Now, yeah, he has the means to hurt you and you're in fear of your life. And so even, and so take it a point further, somebody across the street, I'm gonna, he, he's got a baseball bat. So you're, you're still not, you're in fear of your life. He has the means, but is he just saying that to be stupid? You know. So then the guy, the guy says, "I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to kick your A." And then he begins to make a motion like he's going to use that against you and kill you. Then that is when you are justified in using lethal force. Let's so in the scenario, yeah, like, okay, so the guy across the street. So he's got he's got the baseball bat. He said he's going to kill you, and then he starts running towards you. And once he gets you, in police situations, there's there's like they do this tool or drill, and and like in 1.5 seconds or whatever it is, a person can run 15 feet. So you have to be able to pull your gun at, at that point. So so these what ifs, you know, that's the first what if you asked me. But go ahead with your question. Well, okay, because. Uh... Let's just carry this scenario out here. What if, and, and by the way, I'm actually using this story because this actually happened to me once. Oh. So I guess I should probably clarify, this actually did happen to me once. Were you the boyfriend that said, I'm going to kick your A? <laughs> no. Somebody said that to me. Oh, okay, then okay. he was dumb enough, I don't know what in the world he was thinking, but he was dumb enough to tell the camp counselors that he told, you know, that uh, he said, yeah, I told uh, Kevin I'm going to kick his ass if he calls my girlfriend a hypocrite and all that. So now the camp counselors got involved. That was the dumbest thing he could have done. But anyway, so uh, 
I didn't know that the camp counselors knew about this until a few, until, oh, weeks later. But I started doing it again, trying to egg this person on, because I really could not stand this person. I didn't <laughs> like the boyfriend at all either. I still don't, by the uh -huh. way. But uh -huh. then he comes up and says, you know what I said last time? And I said, yeah. And I said, you're going to kick my ass. I know, you said this. And he goes, no, I've got to think of something else, because the director of the camp said, if I do that, I'll be put in jail. So this guy was obviously angry, and I happen to know a little bit about his home life. It wasn't a very good home life. Mm -hmm. So what do you do in a situation like that? He's still obviously carrying the grudge of you calling his girlfriend a hypocrite. Should you say at that point if it keeps on or if he's still saying that should you say I have a gun and should you be as radical as to shoot it up in the air to mean that you mean business what do you do in a situation like that if you have a gun no you you try to say say look I'm sorry let's just resolve this really and, and but what you what you're saying is it happens every day on the schoolyards it happens at school it's you know people spout off, and and so you, you just you really like just go. I'm sorry, man. Let's let's end this. You know, and, and like hopefully they do. So what you're saying, they carry it further, and then they maybe they they want to go to your house or whatever. And those are very that happens all the time too. So in your house, um, if you if you're a, first of all get a restraining order or let the police know. Listen, as a political activist. You don't think I've had death threats and vandalism against my home? Oh, and sure and my, in, in South Jordan, like the police have been extremely kind. The last time I had some, um, a, a certain group that had made threats against me, I called the police and I, they made extra patrols around my house. And you be vocal about it. Um, and so, so you, first of all, it, you lock all your doors and you do... There's a lot of steps that you take so that you never have to use your gun. And and so if you're alone in a house, especially you, Kevin, you know, you're blind. Is that is that a politically or, or are you like a no, vision challenge? In fact, you might be surprised. I'm, I'm a member of the National Federation of the Blind. Oh, so it's okay to call you blind. You're not offended. Oh. <laughs> I mean, okay. Fact, I, so. I'll tell you a story. We went to, I went to a training center in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. and we were not allowed to use the word visually impaired. It's a long story, but we were not allowed to use it. I made that oh, mistake wow. uh -huh. got an earful. You, you got an earful because you said visually impaired? Yes. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, How could, if you're visually impaired, that's ridiculous. There's a lot of different ways to be visually impaired. I'm visually impaired. I have to wear reader glasses. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess I'm visually impaired. <laughs> so if I... I mean, there was a guy that, that he got his concealed carry permit, like the, oh, my gosh, a blind person with a gun. But you can you can feel, you know, that, that you should be allowed to have a means of self-defense. Mm -hmm. And so it, I think that the blind people, they become um, proficient because you have to be a blind friend that I had, you know, be, and very capable of, of taking care of yourself. So do do you carry a gun in the shower? Some people do. I've been you, you go through different phases in your life where you have these threats and you get extra paranoid, and that's another thing they teach you in concealed carry classes, is that there's like different danger that you, there's like yellow, um, 
and, and orange and red levels of awareness. Mm-hmm. Yellow is like, you know, you, you don't pay attention to anything. Orange is like you're cautious. And you look around and you just kind of always be aware of your surroundings. In your case, you always you need to use your ears to listen to, to your surroundings. And so red is you're on high alert. So many times in my life, I've had to be on high alert. And, and growing up, my, my girls, you know, when I've had the threats and stuff and people saying mean things, uh, you know, a lot of times I said, okay, if you get a package at my doorstep, don't touch it. I want to make sure it's not a bomb. You know, I mean, it sounds, but, but it's just, you're just being careful. So it, when you're in, when all, you are afraid, like these women who, who, who get murdered by, uh, in domestic violence or, or anybody who's a victim, but they've had a death threat, you know, from their ex who's, jealousy does a lot of weird things. Jealousy causes the very first murder, right? Yeah. Cain killed Abel. <laughs> yeah. So it's not a big secret that jealous boyfriends kill their girlfriends, boyfriends, or husbands all the time. You know, they're, and so, but see, girls, girls are smarter. Girls usually kill, uh, and they're jealous that they kill um, the girl. I mean, they kill, <laughs> they don't kill um, the, they don't kill the, the one he's having an affair with. They kill the guy. So anyway, okay. So so there's times so in your life they where they kill the ex-boyfriend, but they yeah, like they don't, like they know they know who they're mad at. They're yeah. mad at their their husband or who's cheating. They're mad at their boyfriend. They don't care about the the person they're cheating with. I mean, it's 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 sort of um, a, a lot of times. I mean, it's kind of typical when you read about that. Yeah, that the women kill their ex-husband and the ex-husbands kill their wives new boyfriend <laughs> guys are dumb <laughs> so, no i mean no you should never kill anybody but <laughs> but you should but you should you just don't carrying when, when you have an instrument of life or death you become responsible and you don't want to use it so you don't go down the alleyway you, when you carry a gun they, you don't go looking for trouble so you try to avoid it so you'll walk away from an argument so it's just there as a last resort, if you do everything that you can, you lock the doors in the house, you get um, sensors on your light, you do everything to, you know, um, you talk about that you own guns. I, I believe me, the people know that I own guns and I know how to use them. I do believe that that protects me um, because criminals are afraid of guns. And so um, what we used to do, Okay, so so yeah, so yeah, Kevin, if you're worried about the boyfriend breaking into your house, put the gun on your toilet. You know, be very aware of where it is, but listen, and but don't just go shoot blindly, you know, in your case, especially, you need to know, you know, you, you say you better identify yourself. You have to know, like, you point that gun, is it your neighbor, is it your your daughter, is it your your cousin, you know, so they need to identify themselves. But you, you never shoot blindly. Um, there's horror stories of somebody shooting through a door that they're afraid, and, and it's the next-door neighbor who was just knocking on the door late at night. So, so that's why we all, we, we shouldn't just um, to carry, and, and even into own, in your own home, yeah, you should learn how to use it, but, but not as a condition to just own a gun. So... Um, does that answer your question? 
I think so, yeah. I just want to go back to, yeah, you should have a gun on the toilet. What if you are taking a shower, though, and the person is so angry, they are an experienced gun user themselves and kills you or seriously injures you somehow. Does that lose credibility with being against gun control? Or what do you say in a situation like that? If they have a gun and, and they pull, well, they get the first shot out, yeah, or you mean? they just grabbed your gun because you were in the shower, and you know, obviously, I, I guess you could take put your gun in the shower. I wouldn't because well, he um if you're that worried, then I don't know. Don't have your gun nearby. But you, as a blind person, I imagine that you have extra keen hearing skills. So if no, you're in I the don't. shower, I actually have a moderate hearing loss believe it or not. Well, I wouldn't yeah, announce that. I would tell everybody, watch out for Kevin. He has ears like a dog. Oh. <laughs> so, um, but, but, so, but you listen, you know, like if you, if you hear and, and, or even if uh, you can rely on the spirit, um, you know, like I was taught to, um, by a female police officer who happens to be Mormon and she has the gift of the Holy ghost. And she told me that she relies on the spirit a lot of times. So if, if you if, if the spirit tells you, hey, there's something in your house, then get out of the shower and go hide or just be, be and have your gun with you. And they come through the bathroom door, you say, and you point, you know, and you, you say, and, and like, wow, I just realized, if you're blind, how do you point in the right direction? You probably just use your sense, you know, of, of hearing or whatever, but identify yourself, I have a gun. And yes, Kevin, use the F word. You yes. better get the F out of my house or I'm going to blow your brains out. Oh, yeah. And if they have a gun, if they have a gun, but I'll, but it's better to have a gun than to not have a gun. You you don't want to be, if, if someone has a knife, you want to have a gun. If somebody has a gun, you still want to have a gun because it's equal firepower. But at the gun, at the most, is equal firepower, no, no matter what. You know, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight. You've heard that. Yeah. And the, my, the favorite scene in, in um, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that guy comes out and he's swinging his knife around at the guy. You know? <laughs> and, then, and then Harrison Ford pulls out a gun and shoots him. Mm-hmm. So guns, guns outpower knives. Yeah, let's get into uh, activism. You've you were at a rally what in 2013? Uh, yes, uh huh. From Mo- a bunch of people from Montana came down. Oh yes, uh huh. And uh, I vaguely remember reading an article about it. You talked about it on K Talk. Uh, go ahead and talk to us about that and the effect that it had and what caused the rally. Okay, I do believe that was um, that was uh, 2:23. So two on so February twenty third and two twenty three is the ammo that's used in AR fifteens. Okay. And so the government was thinking of banning the uh, the two twenty three ammo. So there was a, a rally on two twenty three. I wasn't the organizer but I, I helped her with it. Um and so I, I had this great speech about two twenty three. But um <clears throat> but there was a big uh storm the night before a snowstorm and People still came out to the rally in sub-zero weather, and the guy you're talking about that, that drove down from Montana was a Navy SEAL, and he felt that it was so important. He drove down in a blizzard to speak at a rally in Salt Lake City 
to talk about how important gun rights are. I'm happy to report his name was Ryan Zinke, and he is now a member of a House of Representatives in the U.S. Congress. And I'm on his email list, and he's up for re-election. So if anybody wants to support a Navy SEAL to get re-elected. So he's been out there fighting the fight. He understands guns are important. There's, um, there's a, a play on words, and it, it, what you, and it, 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 it says, okay, no guns, so like N-O guns equals N-O freedom. And then underneath that, it's K-N-O-W guns <clears throat> equals K-N-O-W freedom. Um, power, I, I can't understand power because when I've been in an evil way, I say, because when, when I've had positions of power in, in school, you know, elected positions throughout school or whatever, um, or even church callings, I've wanted to use my power to help people. But a lot of people surprisingly want to use that power to hurt people. And that's a Doctrine and Covenant scripture. I mean, do you know that one, Kevin? What scripture that is? Um, no, I'm familiar. The rights of the priesthood are conferred upon you, but if you exercise unrighteous dominion, then you're taken away. I'm familiar with that. I think it's that one. Okay. And so, so even, um, it's my understanding, and I've been told, so bishops who counsel men and women in marriage relationships, they will tell um, the priesthood holder, just because you have the priesthood doesn't give you power to exercise unrighteous dominion over your wife. So, and then there's, I don't know, like, just saying, you know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. So it's really important to elect people who are responsible with power. So people that have gotten into power who have evil hearts of darkness, like Hitler, like Pol Pot, like Stalin, to kill that, the amounts of people, they take their guns first. And, and by, way, by the way, that was another point of my research, um, that there's a book written by a Jew named Aaron Zellman. He recently died. Do you know about that book? No. You wrote a book? Um, he, he wrote a book. A Jewish okay. man, Aaron Zellman, started a group called Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership. It's the JPFO. And I researched them, and they put out a comic book that says, Gun Control Laws Kill. And so they list part of that research. It was just like listed all these countries and, and the date that gun control was enacted and then the date that there was mass execution of their own citizens. So, so, the, so, so I was, you know, I'm proud. Women Against Gun Control and, and the people that have helped me throughout the years were very honored to be a part of groups like Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership, a minority, a minority um, Women Against Gun Control, a minority organization fighting for gun control. There's, um, I also met uh, members of the black population. I don't know if you call them black, African-American or whatever, but they're, they're also um, organizations to preserve gun rights. And I'm happy to report that um, in, in 2000, I think it was, or 
or a little bit before that, there was a, a national organization that was started called the Pink Pistols, and it's a gun rights group for gay and lesbian and transgendered individuals. And so Women Against Gun Control supported them on a national basis. So I had um, one of my friends is one of the leaders, David Nielsen. He was one of the first people to speak out for gay rights in Utah. And I talked to him about, and he's a Democrat and he's disabled and, and he's gay. And I said, how do you feel about gun rights? And he goes, well, I don't really know. You know, I go, well, you need to study him. And, and if you're interested, you should start a group here called, uh, you know, start a chapter of Pink Pistols in Utah because um, that was shortly after Matthew Shepard was, uh, you know, executed on a cross in Wyoming oh, yeah. for being gay. And and so I said, I don't, I don't want my gay friends to become victims of hate crimes. So he started a chapter of Pink Pistols in Utah, and it immediately was the, the largest gay and rights uh, group, um, advocating for gun ownership. And he t- he took a lot of um, flack. It's a good gun word, of flack for his involvement because Democrats are supposed to be anti-gun, right? Gay. You know, oh, we're so gentle, so we don't believe in violence or whatever, you know. And, and he also spoke for the rights of people with disabilities because if you have a disability. And for you too, Kevin, I support your right to own a gun. But you dang well, you know, need to learn how to use it responsi- responsible because it's the best way to protect yourself. Um, so, so, he, so he later changed the name of the group to Stonewall Shooting Sports. So I stand a, a lot of times um, right now... Um, IMB, Women Against Gun Control, is being represented in about six different federal courts and district courts right now on gun rights issues. And it's always, um, and so attorneys will call and offer free legal help because they want to represent the rights of minorities. And so it's always Women Against Gun Control, it's the Pink Pistols and Stonewall Shooting Sports, and also... Um, uh, one of the, the African-American groups is called CORE. I can't think of it right now. It's called Blacks and, and People with Disabilities. And we are a, a, a core group of people that we um, are being represented by attorneys for the rights of minorities to own guns. And I, I couldn't be prouder, good at crafts, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. And, and uh, But it's something um, to be part of a minority group that is speaking out for gun groups. Um, and I've been represented at the United States Supreme Court. Um, it's either three or five times. I think three times at least. And the latest huge victory for gun rights was the Parker versus Heller, which um, at the Utah or at the United States Supreme Court that said that gun rights are an individual right. So that paved uh, the path to um, gun rights ownership in Washington D.C. But that that was just in an amicus brief. But we were that Women Against Gun Control is the leading voice um, to support the rights because women as minorities, we um, we need them because we're smaller and usually um, not as strong as men. Doesn't mean we're not smarter than them, but um, and people with disabilities, people of color, and gay and lesbian and transgendered, who are quite frankly um, victims of of hate crime. And, and here's another good story about, you'll remember this, Kevin, a few years ago, there were a lot of hate crimes in Utah. Do you remember that when, when gay people were being beat up? Yeah. 
and and so I called uh, my friend David and I said I don't I don't like this I I don't like that gay people are are being victimized and so I said I I I can get some people to to give free concealed carry classes to people who are gay and so he called his connections there's a magazine called Queer and it's a magazine for gay um, LGBT lesbian gay bisexual and transgender and so. They interviewed me, they interviewed David, and they interviewed some of my friends who gave free concealed carry classes. And just advertising, just advertising that gays were going to get free lessons how to protect themselves. Do you remember the gay, the gay, the hate crime stopped? Do you remember that? No, I don't. We haven't heard about them as much. The hate crimes what? Against the gay, against the gay population. I know that there's a bill that's going to introduce some legislation, or did. I don't know if it got passed. Well, it was when they were actually being beat up. They were being victimized. And so when when we we, we broadcast publicly, watch out, and gay people could be carrying a gun, the, the beatings stopped. Wow. So I, so what we used to do, like like we would challenge people like if guns make us safer right that's their that's their premise guns make no no if we take the guns away we're safer right Mm -hmm. so we we would go and we made these signs that said there are no guns in this house and so we would just challenge the people that were anti-guns if you think there's if you think this makes you safer i dare you put this on your house there are no guns in this house we did not have one person take us up on this yeah, offer. I've heard people say that before. <coughs> yeah. So it's well, I'm I'm going down memory lane because <laughs> I've you know like I did every day I fought for gun rights and then I I got sued for going to city council meetings and I got sued for 1.7 million dollars and I was told to shut my mouth um, and and if I would just shut my mouth and stop fighting against these developers that wanted to destroy river bottoms. Um, they would drop the $1.7 million lawsuit against me. And I said, it's not acceptable. Rocky Anderson, who was very liberal. I wanted to talk to you about that. Uh, you were involved. I read an article just before uh, you called me about this. Uh, there was uh, some issue going on with 110 acres of marshland in South Jordan, correct? Right, uh-huh. And you said you sued whoever the commercial developer was and Rocky Anderson defended you. Now, how did it feel for Rocky uh, to have Rocky Anderson defend you? Let, I'll tell you this right now. Um, Rocky Anderson, I know it's really cool in the Mormon community to just knock Rocky Anderson. and Yeah, it is. I absolutely hate him. But Rocky to me, has always been somebody that uh, is a mixed bag for me. There are issues I firmly agree with him on. There are issues that I have a very firm disagreement with him on. So I've never completely Mm -hmm. hated Rocky, but I have definitely had my firm agreements and disagreements with him. So how did it feel to have Rocky defend a fairly conservative person? Oh, the media loved it. And let me just clarify, the developers sued us for $1.7 million, and then we countersued them. 
and we won. And 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 I'll I'll answer the question about Rocky, but I'll just say if if people are interested, um, there a, a reporter, one of the state's top investigative journalists, interviewed me and my friend for four years and wrote a novel based on a true story. Yes. And it's Paul, called Slap. Yeah, by Paul. I can't remember his last name. Paul Swenson. Uh huh. And, and and it's it's a he's one of the he's an incredible writer and so for the LDS audience in particular, it explores how two Mormon moms take on the establishment and how we deal with people that went to church who lied about us under oath and how it did not affect my testimony doesn't mean it was easy but we understand that that it's not the church teachings it's the people in the church. But, so we talk about forgiveness. It's probably like people actually read the book and they want to join the church because they see that Mormons aren't these weird weirdos like are portrayed in a lot of the other HBO um, yeah. representations of Mormons. We're just, you know, we, we just, we have, um, we don't do that many weird stuff, really. It's um, So it's on Amazon. It's, it's on dozens of book sites, but I guess Amazon is the most recognizable and, it, and they... They have um, the book reviews there, and you can look inside of the book. But I, I highly recommend to read it because anybody who feels passionate, it's about how much are you willing to give up for something that you believe in. In the book, my name is Jessica Tobler, and, and, and Rocky said I can identify him. His name is Lefty Gunderson in the book. And, and, and he's just an incredible writer, and it's, it's really, it's, it's, uh, it makes you cry, it makes you laugh. So to answer your question, when Rocky took took the case pro bono after I campaigned against him when he ran against a Republican, Merrill Cook, the media loved it. The people loved it. We did so many radio interviews together because people like it. When you can come, when people, we're so divided as a nation right now. And what needs to happen? More people, we need to find out our, I'm not going to compromise my issues, but I'm just saying we're Americans, and, and we need to figure out what can we agree on that, that we can make our, our country great and stop us from, from the protests and the rallies and, the, and these really dividing issues that divide us. And so people loved it. We, so Rocky probably donated um, like $100,000. He told me it was $100,000 in pro bono fees that he, before he became mayor, and then he, and then he, had to, he couldn't be our attorney anymore, of course. And so at that point, we had to pay for legal rec- representation. And so we hired another one of the best attorneys in the state. Um, in the book, his name is Del Gordon. I, d- I don't know if he wants me to identify him yet as his real person. Mm-hmm. But that's when our attorney fees climbed to $400,000. And uh, we mortgaged our house to pay legal fees. And my kids went without Christmas and birthday. And, and it's a really, it's a principle that, um, and, and that's when I, I got um, the, the skin-eating disorders I was talking about earlier um, be, because of the stress of losing my house because I, I tried to save some open space. Um, and so you really like how – so what I taught my kids, and they, and they, and they understand it very well, and they were incredibly supportive as, as my husband to have his paycheck. I'm, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I don't make money. I volunteer my time to causes I believe in because another Mormon scripture, you know, we should be anxiously engaged in a good cause. Um, it, it's, and another a Mormon hymn, because I have been giving, given much, I too must give. 
And I can't sit here and have the knowledge I have of the gospel that liberty and free agency is so important and the Constitution is a divine document and, and for me not to try to do everything I can in my power to preserve that. So um, it's really a... The things that we that matter most to us in life, we can't buy them. We can't buy love. We can't buy our health. We can't buy happiness, right? Yep. We, can't, we can't buy our gun rights. We, we can't buy the First Amendment. We can't buy free speech. We can't buy our gun rights. Our rights, we have to fight for them. And people died for them to be free. And so you can't buy rights at the mall. You have to fight for them. And so our family was severely punished and severely suffered, but we did win a, a, a major free speech case. And, and the, the, the book, like I say, it's slapped on Amazon by Paul Swenson, but there's a website that's up that tell it's the true story. It needs to be updated, but that's Slapsuit. It's S-L-A-P-P-S-U-I-T dot O-R-G. And it has the pictures before and after of the river bottoms and a collection of the newspaper articles. So I'm a very firm believer you should be anxiously engaged in a good cause and also that we should be blessed are those who are compelled to do good without having to be compelled or whatever. Just go do it. Don't wait for a church calling. You know, I know a lot of people that just, um, they won't do missionary work until they get a church calling to do it. They won't go and and, and um, work at the cannery or whatever until they get a calling. You know, like so. We should do these things, especially. Um, we should we should be out fighting to defend the Constitution, because it is a divinely inspired document. Joseph Smith, all the prophets have talked about how important the Constitution is, and people that really understand the gospel understand more than ever if you understand the war in heaven and how we we didn't want to be like Satan. We didn't want Satan's plan because we didn't want to have to be controlled and under his power, that it's better to have the freedom to choose. And and so if if I could say, <laughs> get emotional, um, more, more than anything, why I have a strong testimony despite no matter what opposition and how hard it is to be a political activist, to be Mormon and not quite fit into the homemaking crowd, you know, and, and I'm out there fighting these really, really big battles. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, but, but I understand that Jesus Christ is freedom. He gives us freedom, and we get to choose what we do with our life. He doesn't, he doesn't make us do it. The government compels us and uses force to force us to do things that we don't want to do. So I guess if we're going to, I don't know how long we're going to talk, but, but, but I mean, I just, it, it's so awesome to me that I don't have to listen to the Tabernacle Choir if I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> I can listen to my rock music. I can be my own kind of Mormon and still live the commandments and, and choose the things that I want to do. It's so important, and that's what the Constitution does, is that our rights come from God and they keep us free. And we have to preserve that. I'm, I'm going to do everything. And I've made, I've promised God, as long, you know, like, I'll, I'll do everything in my power to fight for liberty. If I don't believe, I fought, you know, I've said, I, I've taken on a lot of liberal causes. So if, if I don't agree with what you're doing, I'll fight to the death to defend what you do and say, because we shouldn't have just one opinion. It, it doesn't mean 
that it's right and, and be willing to, to have an open mind and listen to other people's opinions on issues and come yeah. together. We're running out of time, but I do want to do a part two of this podcast because I want to get into some things we didn't have time to get into, and I really want to get deep in the next podcast, including um, I want to ask you more questions about gun control, partly because questions I've always wondered about, mm-hmm. and I'm sure the audience is wondering about it. Um, um, I'd love to do it because I, I'm passionate about it, and it, it's it's really important and and we don't the podcast gives the advantage you know there's no commercials and people you can have these in-depth conversations that yeah. need to that need to, we need to talk about gun safety and all these issues that just can't it because of how much media costs it's not necessarily a fault of the media it's just that you have 2 minutes to cover these really big important issues um to, to talk about things on everybody's mind i guess so yeah <clears throat> um yeah, I, I, the, what's happening here is I'm going through a service called uh, PowerPress, which is also called Blueberry.com, and I only paid, because uh, I don't want to go broke, uh, $20 for 250 megabytes. I'm just afraid we're running out of space, but I definitely oh. <laughs> want to have you back on, because uh, we only scratched the surface of what I wanted to get into, and I think now that we've covered our basis, we I really want to get into this with you, because... I don't really, yeah, we've met at K-Talk, yeah, I've called on some shows that you've been on, but we've never had a heart-to-heart conversation. Right. And I've always wanted to. Oh. I, I tried to do it once, but then things got in the way. I, I did mention that mm-hmm. I wanted to have you on a podcast back in 2008 when I was doing it, but then things got in the way, and, but, uh, yeah, we... I really think we need to have a heart-to-heart conversation uh, on the podcast and even in person because these are issues I've always wondered about and uh, I always have mixed opinions about and go back and forth on Mm -hmm. So I'm sure Mm -hmm. other people do too. Well, uh, I'd be happy to do it. Like I say, it's um, these are important issues that that need to have more than a soundbite discussion. So. And uh, that's the beauty of a podcast. I'm going to end it right now. Stay with me, though. Uh, You've been listening to the LDS Live podcast. And um, we will talk to you later, folks. Oh, by the way, before you you go, uh, let's talk. uh, What is your favorite part uh, about being LDS? Um, Wow. (laughs) Okay, to answer that question, I, I do have to have full disclosure. Um, my maiden name is Smith, and I am related to Joseph Smith, Jr., That's the prophet. Great. Yeah, we were going to talk about that. Well, we'll talk about that in the next podcast. <laughs> so I, I will just say I like that it gives me, I have a, a good, wholesome lifestyle that I think um, it makes us unique and individual uh, or, or unique in, in the world um, that gives us extra attention. <laughs> like, we shouldn't be ashamed of our morals and standards, because here's what's interesting is usually the morals and standards of the LDS church used to be the morals and standards of the world. It's as the world has progressed and and downgraded these morals, the the LDS church and other churches have stayed constant. Um, I I love my family. I love my cousins, um, family reunions, and, and the knowledge that I have that we live again after we die 
and and really especially the knowledge that I have of how much freedom is is so important. Um, so that's probably my favorite part. Yeah, and uh, next podcast, I want to get really deep. We're, I want to talk about the Bundys and LDS. I want to talk more about Because, LDS. yes, I did go up to Oregon and met with the Bundys, and I could be arrested any minute. You went to Oregon? <laughs> yeah. I, oh, did I tell you that? Yeah, I went up there. Yeah. Well, I, did you occupy the federal building? Because I know there were two protests. There was one that was peaceful, and then there was one where they occupied the federal building. And that was also a peaceful protest, and that's why I went up there. There, there wasn't even a piece of paper out of place. The doors were unlocked, yeah. and these are good. Pe- these are Mormons, by the way, and let, let you know um, they they left the place better than they found it, despite reports from the media. They were cleaning out barns that hadn't been uh, cleaned out. You know, like you know, like sleeping them, getting the cobwebs out. Um, and, and I went up there to be part of a negotiating team to hopefully end um, and bring them home. But it was it was one of the most fascinating experiences um, that I've had. And if that, you're because uh, I did listen to I watched I didn't watch them getting released, but I watched uh, people. I watched uh, David Fry and him going berserk. I want to ask you about that. Cause well, and, and, and talk and from an LDS perspective, I'd love to talk about the LDS funeral at Lavoie Finicum. Yeah, that was that it too. was the greatest meeting I've ever been to in my life and and just as a teaser so I so Lavoie Finnecom died you know was killed so media attended a Mormon funeral where all 11 of his kids testified of Jesus Christ so if there were any doubt is Mormon we are Christians they they talked about Jesus Christ the atonement and families can be together and that God is liberty and freedom and people are God works in mysterious ways people that hate Mormons and would have never stepped into a Mormon stake center were at his funeral wow yeah I'll have to end it right here but let's uh, uh, thanks for listening to the LDS podcast and uh, we'll be back with another great podcast <laughs>